Well, praise the Lord. We started last week in our series on the life and times of Nehemiah. And a few aspects that we talked about last week as we started it, we mentioned it was probably the last chronological book in the Old Testament, one of the, if, one of the last, if not the last book that was written chronologically. At this point, the captivity was over. Seventy years had gone by, plus 70 more that the Jews were coming back into Jerusalem. But during that time, during Ezra and Nehemiah, they had not been able to rebuild the wall yet or repair the gates. We also learned that God had a divine appointment for Nehemiah as his brother came with the news that there was no walls. And since there were no walls, there was no protection for the people in the city. Nehemiah cared enough to start praying about it and was willing to be the one who was sent to help them rebuild. He spent time praying about it because he knew that it would have to be a God thing if he could succeed. How many of you really felt a burden for something and you knew that unless God did it, it wasn't going to get done? And that could be, you know, ministry-wise, that could be personal life. Things in your life that you know need to be a miracle. And God's able to do that. So now we come to chapter 2. And verse 1 says this, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, if you look back to what we said last, last week, Nehemiah was just going about his daily routine. He was doing just normal stuff, nothing special, no advance warning, just being where God knew he was going to be and when God needed him. And we realize that God can work in your daily routine. Whatever you do normally, God can work in that situation. You don't have to do something special, something out of the ordinary for God to pick you up and use you someplace. Now, we look at this, and it says that it was the month of Nisan. Now, Nisan was approximately our April, March, April, May, that, that time. Now, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. Now, Kislev is approximately where we are now, November, December, wintertime for them. So we heard about it late fall, early winter, Several months had passed. Now they're into April, March, April, May area. And I thought about that. You know, sometimes when we feel a call of God or a burden, there is time that we have to take and time that may transpire between the time that you feel that burden, feel that call, and the time for God to act in your life. And faith sometimes requires us to wait until it's God's timing. And I don't know about you, but God's timing never seems to correspond to my time. We should always be patient and wait for God's direction. How many of us like to jump, just jump right in? You feel it? Just jump right in. Well, I think God sometimes allows us to wait because during that time of waiting is when you develop patience. How many have ever prayed for patience? Dangerous prayer. Because the only way you develop patience is to have to learn it. A learned behavior. So Nehemiah had to develop patience during this time. Hebrews 6.12 says, We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We don't always inherit something. We don't always get it instantly. But God has us develop faith and patience in that process. When our kids were little, they would, you know, they would ask us for stuff. And at the time, they'd say, Can I have it now? Can I have it now? And I said, Well... If you can wait, the answer might be yes. If you have to have an answer right now, it's going to be no. We want them to wait. And they kept asking anyways, but I think they learned patience through that. Now we tell that to our grandkids, and they all hate to hear that, but we want them to develop patience in getting what they have asked for. 
Nehemiah had to wait and develop patience in order to be in a place to hear from God and to see what God was doing to enable it. How many realize that sometimes when God calls you and you have to wait, you realize later that you really weren't ready for it at first? Something came up, and if you'd have handled it right then and there, it wouldn't have been the right thing to do, wouldn't have been the right timing. And so even though you thought at that time it's something you need to do, God gives us the time to wait so we can look back and say, yeah, we, we wouldn't have worked well doing it that way. Just because God makes us wait doesn't mean you haven't heard from God or that God changed his mind. How many feel like when God calls you or puts an opportunity in front of you and it doesn't come to pass right away, you think you might have, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe God wasn't in that. Or you think maybe God changed his mind. And we know that's not true, but sometimes we think that, right? God wants us to grow and mature so we will use that waiting time in prayer. The time that we wait is the time we spend in prayer. We want to see what God says. We want to have a firm, a firm grasp on, really, is this what God wants me to do? Nehemiah was doing his own thing, but he was always alert to what God may be doing in the background. You know, just going about your daily routine, we have to be observant. What is going on around us? How can God use us in this situation? And we need to be alert to that time. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. He was praying, he was doing his thing, but he was, he was ready should the opportunity arise for him. There's a saying that says, uh, I can't remember how it goes, but something, you know, success comes in the form of hard work. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. How often do we see opportunities that may be disguised as normal conversation? or circumstances that come your way. Maybe you're talking to someone and the conversation turns to things of God. Out of the blue. Now you're able to answer those. You're able to talk to them. But it wouldn't have happened had you not just been in a normal conversation. And that's exactly what was happening in Nehemiah. And verse 1 continues. It says, In the month of Nisan, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now a couple of things here. Nehemiah was not the only cupbearer. There was, there was many of them. He would have been one of a number of men picked for that job. Nehemiah 1.11, the NIV reads this way, I was, I was cupbearer to the king. Now I looked this up and a lot of other translations will say I was the cupbearer to the king. But the original, uh, original Hebrew does not have it, does not have that article in there. So it was meant to be I was one of the cupbearers. What are the odds that this conversation that's taking place today was his day to be cupbearer. It was his schedule. It was his scheduled day. And you'll see in Nehemiah's case, he had, an, he had a, an attitude that day that the king noticed. That attitude could have come at any day, but it came on the day that he was assigned to work. And I realized that God can work in anyone's schedule to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Whatever your schedule is, God can still work in that schedule to do what he wants to do. We don't have to automatically, radically alter what we do for God to be able to use us. Nehemiah was doing what he did. He just kept on doing his thing. He didn't quit. He didn't say to the king, you know what? I'm waiting on God, so I'm quitting my job. That might have been bad for him. He could have just said, you know, I'm just going to sit in the cave and wait for God to, to show me. He didn't. He kept doing what he was doing. He kept on his regular routine. 
You know, when, when you feel called to the ministry, when I felt like when I was called, I didn't automatically just jump right into it. I had to take, you know, four years, get licensed, and then another four plus to get ordained. And for the first four, I just kept my job as usual. Did everything normal. I didn't sit at home, quit my job, and wait for God to open doors. I had to finish what I was doing in order for God to do that for us. Nehemiah kept up his normal routine while he waited on God to move. And here it is in verse, the end of verse 1 and verse 2. Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now, we think that's no big deal. But in Nehemiah's day, a cupbearer had to be like, I don't know if a court jester is the right word, but he had to always have an upbeat attitude. The king did not want, the rulers did not want anyone around them that was going to bring him down. If you had a bad issue going on at home, you had to leave it there. You had to come to work, doing the cupbearer thing, and always have a smile on your face. Always doing the right thing. One commentary said that in order to keep the king happy and not do anything that would change his mood, the cupbearer had to walk with his hand over his mouth in order that his breath did not offend the king. Some of us might need to do that. Cupbearers had to be careful to keep a cheerful disposition regardless of what was going on. And up till now, Nehemiah was able to do that. And the reason that it was, it was dangerous to have an attitude or a, a negative attitude was one, that he didn't, the king didn't like it. You weren't supposed to bring him down. And the second was, as a king, he's always looking out for someone plotting a coup. They're always looking for someone to want to overthrow them. If you look in the Old Testament, you know, so many relatives and neighbors and friends, they were the ones killing the king and taking their job. And so this guy, he, you know, the king was alert to that. And if Nehemiah walked in with a, with a weird look on his face, the king could automatically think, oh, something's going on. And he could kill him at that moment. So any nervous looks on his staff could mean trouble and the king would just take action at that point. But now the king opens the door for Nehemiah to start talking. You never know when your countenance or your conversation is going to lead to things of God, is going to lead to trigger a question on someone's behalf or maybe even trigger something in you that causes you to sit up and, and take notice of what God's going to do. How many of us pray for an open door? For whatever. How many of us pray for the open door, but how many of us, when the door is open, we don't walk through it? The illustration I've used before, it's kind of a funny one, but it's, it's the same. Guy gets up every morning and prays, Lord, send someone who needs Jesus. Let me be a witness today. Gets on the train, you go to work, sits down, guy sits down next to him and, and he starts crying, he starts weeping and bawling. And he turns to this guy who prayed this morning and said, hey, I need to know God, do you know God? And the guy who was praying says, hold on a second. And he turns and says, Lord, is this the door you're opening for me? We have to be ready to recognize when God opens a door and then be willing to step through it. And this is where the rubber meets the road for Nehemiah because he could have said, oh, no, nothing, I'm good. Because verse 2 goes on and says, I was very much afraid. You ever afraid when you step out and do something? It could be anything in your personal life, your home life, ministry. When you feel like God's leading in a direction, it's kind of scary. 
Because God usually leads you in an area that you're not familiar with, you're not ready for, you're not prepared, and it's something that's outside of your, your wheelhouse. And now Nehemiah was afraid. Now it doesn't say why he was afraid, only that he was. And he could have been afraid for a lot of reasons. And all these are speculation because it doesn't say he might have been afraid of what the king was going to do. If he starts telling him what was going on, the king could, you know what, say, I don't need this. You're out. Get the next guy. One out-of-context statement from, the, from Nehemiah could result in his death. If the king was having a bad day and didn't want discouragement, the last thing he wanted to hear was Nehemiah's problems. You ever afraid of what people are going to say or the reaction they're going to give you for how you live? I remember when I first got saved, I got a, a letter, a congratulatory letter from the pastor, and my wife plastered it on the refrigerator. And when my parents came down one night to babysit, that letter was on the fridge. And so they, we came home, and they were, I was walking into the car, and my mom says, so I read that letter. What do you, you know, what do you mean by that? What, what happened in your life? Because they were Catholic, they didn't know. And it was an opportunity to talk to her a little bit about it. But I, a little fear came upon me, you know, what's their reaction gonna be at this point? I didn't know. But when we have those type of conversations, those things that come up in your life, we can't be afraid of what the conversation or what the reaction is going to be to us. At that moment, I could have said, oh, it doesn't mean anything, and just denied it. I remember when I was working in Pittsburgh, I'd, in, I just got saved, and everyone in the office knew I was a Christian, and they were all giving me grief. And I, I walked up, and I was talking to this one guy, and he says to me, so, I hear you're a Christian. Is that true? And I had the opportunity to say, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I, I didn't know any verses, but God brought this verse to me. If you deny me before men, <laughs> I'll deny you before my father. So I don't know where that verse came from. It must be the Spirit of God. And I, I said it, yes, I'm a Christian. And it started a conversation. It, I was worried about the, the reaction. But God was able to say something through me that nullified the reaction. We had a conversation. Sometimes doing things for God requires or causes you to fail. Anybody ever fail at anything? No one here, right? When I was going to one of the ordination ceremonies at the, for the Assemblies of God, Phil Barnjono at the time was a superintendent, and he would always challenge the new preachers. And he would say something to the effect that, look, I would rather you fail a hundred times attempting something for God than not attempt anything and not fail. A lot of times stepping out in faith, you might fail. Now, I don't think anybody's going to get impaled here for standing up for God, but you might be teased or ridiculed. Maybe you're afraid of the reaction. If we, are, if we succumb to the fear of what's going to happen and what might happen, we're never going to accomplish anything for God. Maybe Nehemiah was afraid that this might not be the right time. Okay, Lord, this might not be a, a good opportunity. Maybe I'll wait for another door to open. Going back to the guy on the train. Lord, is this, is this an open door? No, Lord, if I see my name 
in writing on like Daniel, if I see that, I'll know it's you. Or if I see my name written out in lightning on the sky, I'll know it's you. I've never had that. Anybody ever had that kind of thing? Usually it's that still small voice that's calling you to step out. And sometimes you just got to take that step. And to take that step, you got to be prayed up and ready to step out. It says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Sometimes you just got to step up and say it or do it. You ever hear the expression, fish or cut bait? When I was a kid, we used to, my dad would take us fishing and there's, there's this old eight millimeter film of me, I guess, of just cutting bait, not fishing. And I look at that and think, why, why didn't I fish? To fish or cut bait means you're gonna cut bait all day and just prepare to fish or you're actually gonna fish. And Nehemiah's, well, you know what? I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna step out and do it and I'll let the results be up to God. And the first thing he does in his conversation, he gives deference to the king. He honors him with what at that time was a common saying, may the king live forever. I was like, you know, honoring the king, you know, encouraging him. But then he goes and tells him what's wrong. But in his wording, he's deliberate in what he says because he doesn't mention the city. Now remember the king, no fan of Jews, no fan of Israel, no fan of the nation. Had he mentioned Jerusalem, the king might have said, oh, you know, no, I don't want to hear it. So he was deliberate in how he worded what he said. He wanted to phrase the sentence in order to evoke some compassion. Notice what he says, my fathers are buried there, the gates have been destroyed by fire, it's in ruins. He's trying to evoke an emotion from the king rather than giving him specifics, he wants him to get it emotionally involved in the situation. How many have ever heard of the phrase emotional word picture? Emotional word picture, I think Kevin Lehman was the one that coined that phrase. An emotional word picture is when you tell a story in order to evoke emotion from the person that's hearing it, and then you're able to relate a truth to them, then their emotions are already engaged. A perfect example is Nathan and David. David sinned. God says to Nathan the prophet, go and confront David. Well, when Nathan goes to David, he doesn't first say, you sinned. What's he do? He tells him a story. He says, Dave, let me tell you a story, Dave. I got this rich guy. He's got 100,000 sheep, and he doesn't care about them. He's just he got all these, all these sheep. Then you have over here this one little poor guy and his family. They have one sheep. The family loves his sheep. They eat with the sheep. You know, he just, it's part of the family. And so this rich guy, and he takes this one sheep, and he kills that one sheep. What do you think about that? David's all, he's all animated now. He said, that guy deserves to pay. And that's what Nathan says, you're the guy. An emotional word picture gets the person involved in it so they have a vested interest in the outcome of that. And it also allows them to not backtrack. Nathan or David could have said, oh, you know, I'm wrong. I should have said something else. 
He was invested in it. He already mentioned something. So he was involved because it was an emotional thing. Nehemiah was wanting to get the king invested emotionally in the story. Because miracle of miracles, the king doesn't have him killed. He actually asks Nehemiah this question. Verse 4, what do you want? Wow. It goes from being, hey, you're, you're kind of bummed out today, to what can I as a king do for you? Wow. Another open door. And these open doors aren't just random. They're, they're the result of Nehemiah praying for several months between finding out and being asked the question. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 4 says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And we learned that he prayed to a great and awesome God, the God that can do miracles. He was believing that God can do something that was beyond his own ability to do. And I think, isn't that what all prayer is? Asking God to do something that is beyond our ability to do. If we can do it, why do we need to pray? If I can do something in my own strength and own power, why do I need to pray? And I believe that God allows things in our life that are beyond our control in order to get us to pray, things that we can't handle. God wants a relationship, and so he does things in order to get our attention so that we pray and have that relationship. And I wrote down here the question, what is the need in your life? What great and awesome thing do you need God to do that you can't? It's impossible for you to do. What door do you need God to open because you can't open it by yourself? Nothing you can do to force that door open. Nothing you can do to change that opportunity. But you have a great and awesome God who can. And that's to whom we pray. So what happens is God just kicks that door open for Nehemiah. And the king asks, what do you want? And verse 4 goes on and says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. How many have ever had a, like a real quick prayer? Like it, it, one commentator calls it a telegraph prayer. One calls it a spontaneous prayer. It's a quick, under your breath, in your head prayer that lasts about two seconds. He says, Lord, I need your help. And he's praising in his head. Now, these spontaneous prayers are backed up by hours and days of prayer leading up to this. So it wasn't just he didn't wait until the very end and then pray. He had been praying these four or five or six months. And so when the time came, he was already prayed up. Lord, okay, this is it. And he opens the door and, and God uses him. So we should be not only prayed up, but at the point of conversation, again, God help me. Glenn Berteau, I've, I've seen a couple of his stories and videos, and we've seen them here. I like, he, he has these prayers, I love them. He says, let's praise the congregation. Lord, help me, amen. <laughs> that's his prayer. And a lot of times, that's all we need. <laughs> because you don't have time for, let me, let me take time to kneel down and pray. No, Lord, help me. And God helps him through the situation. Then he jumps in with both feet. He prays, Lord, help me. And verse 4 says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. 
couple of things about that prayer or that statement. First, he says, if it pleases the king. Now, why would it please the king? Why would this pagan king be pleased to let one of his guys go? I got to find another guy I can trust. I trust this guy. I can bring another guy in who I don't trust. No, you know, Nehemiah, you're going to stay here. The only reason that this would have favor with the king is if God moved on his heart. God prepared him for this. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. One commentator wrote this, Leaders are God's servants, whether they know it or not. The king wasn't a Jew, didn't care for the Jews, didn't care for the nation of Israel. Probably, he's a king. I can't imagine he's you know, loved by everybody. Maybe he was a, a corrupt king. We don't know. Whether he was really an evil king like Ahab or Manasseh, or maybe he's just a garden variety bad guy. God directed the course of this pagan king's heart to do what God wanted to do. Does that sound familiar to what's going on today? I don't know the president's heart. don't know if he's saved. I know he's done a lot of things that were questionable, weird, stupid, sinful. Don't know where he's at now. But God's done a lot of things that are beneficial to Christians. God uses imperfect, sinful people to do some good things. Verse 6 goes on and says, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? Now, I, tried to, I looked in different commentaries, and I can't find any significance to why it says, with the queen next to him. I know God has it there for a purpose, but I can't find why it doesn't say in the Bible why. Perhaps he's encouraging the king. Maybe she, he's in a better mood because she's there. Maybe God ordained her to be there to help him. We don't know. And the question was partly designed to test Nehemiah to see well, how well he had planned this out. What do you need? Do you know what you need? Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you have a plan in place? And during the months between first of uh, Nehemiah and now, Nehemiah not only prayed, but he planned it. He knew exactly what to say. He worded his question, or he worded his statement the way he wanted it to. And when he knew, when the question came, he knew what to say. The king asked how long it's going to take. Nehemiah knew, now it doesn't say how long it's going to take, but Nehemiah knew. The Bible says he answered him. Whenever God calls you to do something, he doesn't usually take time, or he does allow us time to plan and prepare. And a lot of times, especially in Pentecostal circles, it's just you do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, whenever you feel the Spirit leading you. And there's some truth to that. You want to be open to what the Spirit of God does. But I believe that God works through plans. God allows us to plan. The Bible has the plan of salvation. It wasn't God thinking of one day, hey, let's do this. It was the plan of salvation. He knew what to do. A lot of times we do things, we don't just jump into it without planning it. For those of you who know me, I'm a little OCD in that area. And uh, so I have a schedule. This is my agenda for every Sunday. 
I know what's happening. I know what's going to be. I know what we're going to do. Now, I don't, you know, let the Spirit of God move us, but there was a plan. Nehemiah planned. He knew what to do. And so Nehemiah was ready with an answer. In verse 6, it says, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. He knew about how long it was going to take, and he gave the king an answer. Didn't have to think about it. Didn't have to sit down and, well, I got to do this. He knew about how long it was going to take. His readiness and his previous service to the king let him go. Remember, if it pleases the king, he must have had a good relationship with the king. It wasn't antagonistic. The king must have liked him to keep him in service so long. So the king knew that he was a good guy, knew he was a faithful servant. And so he trusted him. And the second thing about that statement says this. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight. Again, Nehemiah's faithfulness gave the king confidence in him. Our work ethic and integrity speaks volumes to those who are watching us. When people know you're a Christian, they watch you. They're waiting for you to fall. They're waiting for you to do something stupid. And the minute you do, guess what they're going to do? They're going to call you on it. So we need to be sure that our ethic, our work ethic, our integrity stands up to what God calls us to. There's a lot of times we have to earn the right to speak into someone's life. And what do I mean by that? For people to listen to what we say, we have to have a relationship with them first. And they have to trust us first and they have to see something, a marked difference in our life. And we do that by how we live in front of them and what we do for them and what we do with them. Now, I mentioned the waitress thing last Sunday, you know, but, you know, waitresses hate Sundays because they're Christians, which I still boggles my mind. But Nehemiah's years of dedicated service allowed the king to have confidence and faith that he wasn't just wasn't scheming. He had built up this reputation of integrity with the king so the king trusted what he was going to do. And the question I wrote down here is, do others trust you? Do they trust us? Do, are we trustworthy people? Do we do what we say we're going to do? Do we live like we say we should live? So here is where Nehemiah gets really bold. Not only does he say, hey, can I go? I'm going to wait and I'm going to walk through this next door. But God's got to do the rest of this. Verse 7 says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence which I will occupy. Not only does he say, can I go? What can I, what can I take? Oh, can I have your letter of approval? He knew, the king, he knew the forest keeper's name. He already did his homework. He knew who that was. And he says, I need letters to him. I need letters to the governors of the place I'm going. Now, why did he ask for that? Because in Ezra, when Ezra tried to rebuild, the locals didn't let him do it. They kept giving him hassles. They kept writing letters to the king at that moment, trying to dissuade the king from allowing this to happen. In Ezra 4.11, it says, this was a copy of the letter sent to the king. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, the men of Trans-Euphrates. Now, this is the bad guys that were preventing the wall from being built during Ezra's time. It says, the king should know that the Jews who came to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. 
They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if the city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and their royal revenues will suffer. What are they doing? They, they're lying to the king. They're telling the king, hey, you need to reverse your decision. You need to stop what they're doing. You have the power to do that. We don't. You need to do that. And again, does that sound familiar? If this, if this person gets in, you're going to lose everything. How often do we see the glass half empty and we give up because of what might happen? And that's what happened in Ezra. They quit doing it. You may attempt something for, that God wants you to do and it could fail the first time around. Well, what happens? You just throw in the towel? No. You don't give up. You do your homework, and you plan, and you start again. And that's what Nehemiah did. He learned from past mistakes. He knew that this was going to happen again. And so to nip it in the bud, he said to the king, I need letters from you now so that when I go, I'm going to show this to the people that you've already approved it. And they're not going to be writing you back anymore. They're not going to be complaining to you because you've already given me approval. And now, not only that, I need you to give me the materials to build the thing. Wow. And he learned the name of the guy who ran the forest. Again, he did his homework. He planned it. He knew who he was talking to. He knew what he was going to need. Whenever that time approached, we don't know when it was going to be. Nehemiah didn't know, but he was ready. He planned it. He got names. He got exactly what he needed to do. So whenever that time came, he was ready for it. And that's why the Bible says we need to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us for the hope we have within. Someone asks you about Christ, do you know what to say? If you want to step out for God, you plan and you prepare, but do you know what to do when you start it? Nehemiah knew what he needed to do. He learned from previous mistakes and he kept doing it right. When God calls us, he doesn't mean that we don't have to work or plan. We have to map things out. We need to try to foresee what might happen and avoid them if we see them in, in the process. But having to plan is not an excuse for not trying. Nehemiah had the plan. And he could have had the plan and said, you know what? I have this plan, but I'm just not going to pull the trigger on it. I'm just going to... It's a good plan. I'm just going to let it go. Let the next guy do it. Nehemiah had the plan, but now it was time to actually act on it. Whatever you're waiting for, God says, you know, there's a time to plan. But there's a time you've got to step out and actually do it. You're going to fish or cut bait. And what happened when Nehemiah asked for all those things? First, I'm thinking, that's kind of presumptuous on Nehemiah's part, right? And it's good enough that the king let me go. I might have just left with that. I'm, okay, good, I'll, I'll leave. But no, he asked him for all these things. He went for broke. And all the king could say was no, right? And all we can say is no. I don't think he's going to kill me. He might, but, he, you know, sometimes you just have to take the step and do what seems to be impossible. What's James tell us? You have not because you ask not. What miracle do you think is too much to ask for? It's just too hard, too much for God to do. You're afraid of doing Something because you might hear the word no. 
got to step out in faith regardless of what you're afraid you're going to hear. Verse 8 says, And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Notice that Nehemiah planned. He did his part. But God had to do his part. If Nehemiah didn't plan and know what to say, the king would probably have said no. But Nehemiah did all that he could do. And then the king, then the king, his heart was moved on by God. And when God calls us to do anything, we have to take time to plan it and do what we have to do. And then whatever we can't do is what God has to do. A lot of times we think, you know, if I just pray and sit in my house all day long, God will send a, a job to my door. Or if I just, you know, pray and, and just, just wait and trust God, that God will do this for me when God wants us to do it for ourselves. I'm going to close with this. We say that God has a plan for your life, right? How many agree God has a plan? We say that, right? Well, with that plan, at times come specific things that God calls us to do. That's when we need to have a right relationship with God so that we will be attuned to those instructions. When you have little kids, parents, we have plans for little kids, right? I mean, we don't have specific plans, but we want them to go to school, we want them to get a good job, we want them to get married, all that stuff. We want all that stuff for them. But we're not the ones who actually do that process. We do what we can do, but the decision's gonna be up to the kids, right? There's so many things that we can do as a Christian but the rest we have to kind of leave up to God. We plan, we prepare, we do what we need to do. And then when God actually calls us to step out, we are already in a position to be used by God. When I, and I've said this before, when I started going into the ministry, I said, you know what? Everybody wants to be a preacher when they're saved. Everybody wants to be up front. So this is probably just me. So okay, Lord, you know, the worst thing that can happen is I'll learn something if I start these classes. And I really, I fully never figured I would be finished. But I would be, I would be taking the classes, I would do what I have to do, so that if in fact God was doing this, I was ready to when he, when he called. I didn't just sit there and say, okay, Lord, let some church call me. I'm not gonna take any classes, just let them call me and I'll, I'll trust you. No, I had to be in a position that when that time came, I was ready. We use this example of, uh, in our class on Wednesday night a little bit. And I, I might have used it here before. Have you ever try to steer a car when it's sitting still? And the engine's off. You can't really turn it, right? But if that car is moving, it's easier to steer, right? It's easier for God to direct you to where he wants you to go if you're already moving in what God wants you to do. If you're, writ, if you're reading, you're praying, you have that relationship with God, you're moving, you're studying, you're letting, letting yourself be open to what God wants. And the more that you do that, the easier it is for God to steer you where he wants you to go. If you're just sitting there stationary and you're not moving, you're not doing anything, you're waiting for God to blaze this thing in front of your eyes, you're not going to be positioned to be used. But the more we 
study, prepare, and for whatever God has, we're moving, and then God can steer you where he wants you to go. And that's all part of the plan. And for that to happen, we need to be prayed up and listening for that still small voice. Then once we have that, that burden or, or a desire in your spirit, then you start planning it. And if God takes you, great. If nothing else, you're well, well read and well prayed up for God to take you someplace else. And finally, you step out and you do it. When I first got saved, before the, the preaching thing, I thought, you know what? Maybe I should open a Christian bookstore. And that lasted about a week. Because it wasn't God, it was just me. It was just the thought. And a lot of times when you have these thoughts, if it's of God, what's the Bible say? If it's of God, you're not going to stop it. If it's not of God, it'll stop eventually. And so when you still hear that still small voice, listen to it, maybe start planning it, then eventually, if it's the Spirit of God, it will, it will come to fruition. If it's not, it will just fall off the wayside. If you're moving. The last thing I wrote here is, if God is in it, it's not too big, it's not too impossible, it's not too hard for God to accomplish it in your life. Would you stand as we close? You bow your heads for a moment. You know, I've said before that uh, God has no, no bench warmers. There's no second string in God's economy. Everyone is a player. Everyone plays. You may be center field, you may be the pitcher, you may be the catcher. You may be the bat boy. You may be the umpire. But everybody, everybody has a job in God's economy. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I, am I moving? Am I fulfilling what God has called me to do? Not everyone's going to be a Nehemiah, not everyone's going to have that kind of faith and that kind of uh, success. But everyone's required to step out and listen to the voice. What's God speaking to you? What's God telling you that you keep ignoring? Or you keep pushing it down because you don't feel like it's God or you don't want to do it or whatever the case might be. You're afraid of the outcome, you're afraid of reaction. Listen to that. Start planning it. Start mapping it out. Does it sound logical? Is it something that you feel like God's calling you to do? And I think every one of us, if we're honest, will know. Yeah, I may not like doing this, but I think God's calling me to do it. And you know what happens when you start doing it? You may not like doing it at first, but when you start doing it, you'll realize, hey, God's in it. And I love it. If that's you, let the Holy Spirit really speak to you. Let him challenge you. And let, let, 
And you'll see the great things that God's able to do through you that you never thought you could do. I'm sure Nehemiah, when he was saying this, was just thinking in the back of his mind, there's no way, there's no way this is going to happen. But he trusted that God was going to do it. You may be thinking, there's no, there's no way this is going to happen. There's no way I can do that. But it requires you to step out, and then you'll see God working through you. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never really committed your life to Christ. You've been in church for a while, or you've heard it all, but you've not. You can't look at a date in your life where you can say, yes, I, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I remember the date that I bowed my knee to him and I confessed my sin. The Bible says we all have a day like that. If we're Christians, we can all pretty much remember that date. Some of you here may have done that as a little child, but you know you've done it and you know you've been forgiven. But if you've never done that and you can't really think of a time that you did, then maybe you need to do that today. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all sin. We all fall short of what God's expectations are of us, all of us. And because of that, we have no reason and no ability to have a relationship with God, let alone get to heaven when we die. And there's nothing we can do to change that except believe what Jesus did for us. Since we can't earn our way in, the Bible says that God sent Jesus to the perfect person to take all the punishment that we are due on himself in his sacrifices, beatings, and the crucifixion. All that was our punishment that we deserved. And our job is to believe it. Not just in your head, but in your heart. When you believe it in your heart, it changes your life. It changes your appreciation. It changes your understanding of who you are and who Jesus is. When you realize that the God of the universe sacrificed himself so that you, you alone, could be right with him, it makes you humble. It makes you appreciate and love Jesus even more. If you've never done that and you want to be right with God and have your life transformed from the inside out, I want you to raise your hand right now. For those of you at home, maybe you heard this message for the first time. And you're not sure about this, this Jesus thing, but you want your sins forgiven. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to encourage you to either contact us here at Dover Assembly or if you're not anywhere near us, get involved with a Bible-believing church where you are to help you grow. So the folks at home, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for reaching into their hearts and their minds, allowing them to hear the word of truth. And Lord, I pray that as they have asked you for forgiveness of their sins, that you would wipe their slate clean, make them a new Christian, as the Bible says, or a new creature. Allow them to really understand what it means to be a believer and allow them to know. And, and when they open their eyes, Father, they'll know that the light has changed. They now have a relationship with the living God of the universe. 
and allow them to continue to learn about you. They are babies and Christians now, Lord. Help them to grow and mature and help them to really understand who they are as a child of God. Thank you for touching their lives, changing them, and saving them. In Jesus' name, amen. And for us here, Lord, I thank you that each one of us, I believe, are, are committed followers of Christ. Now, Lord, I pray as Nehemiah prayed, help us to be ready to be used by you in whatever capacity you've called us to. Everyone has a job, everyone plays. Because without us, Lord, you're not able to accomplish what you want to accomplish here because you work through us. You work through people. The Bible says, how can they hear unless someone sends them? So that means us. How can we accomplish anything in ministry unless we step up and do it? How can people's lives be changed unless we actually do something under your power and under your spirit. So Lord, help us to really be attuned to that still small voice and help us to listen in regards of how we feel at that particular moment. If we feel that it's you, help us to step out in faith. And once we step out in faith, Lord, we believe that you're gonna meet us. Peter had to step out of the boat before he walked on water. Help us to step out and find ourselves doing miraculous things that we never thought we can do. Now, Lord, bless us as we leave this morning. Help us to be encouraged that everyone is a vital part of God's kingdom and everyone can affect the life of somebody else and maybe ultimately bring them into the kingdom of God. So, Lord, bless us as we leave today. Help us to leave with that knowledge. And again, we pray for open doors, divine appointments. Use us as you will in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve service. All of the classes are in here this Wednesday.